podcast. The thesis is that science emerges from art. All right. Here we are with Nigel Robinson and Colton Zacharias. This is not a podcast. And today we're talking about how science emerges from art and not the other way around. Colton, you want to start us off? Yeah, probably the best way to build off of that is to start off at attention mm-hmm. and say that art began or begins in paying really close attention to what's real or paying really close attention to your own imagination. Right. So you can reproduce phenomena that exist in the world or you can transcribe phenomena that exist in your imagination. But fundamentally, a lot of it is just what you call in music listening. Mm -hmm. But it's almost like visual listening. Mm -hmm. Um, And that that is a primary thing. That requires no knowledge. Yeah. It's just like waiting for um, images to arise, waiting for colors and forms summon themselves in a way. It's like going to sleep and you dream. Right, yeah. And you can conjure up those images. Mm -hmm. We have words for different phenomena. We have ideas. We have concepts. Mm -hmm. We have external stimuli. Mm -hmm. But that it is such a primary experience. Mm -hmm. If we're hunters and gatherers or we're strategists, Mm -hmm. before there is even even formal art, Mm -hmm. there is just this perceptive faculty of paying attention to what exists. Right. And not just outside of you, but paying attention to what exists internally. Like the fact that you don't get to decide whether or not you think or have ideas or have uh, images. Yeah. And you have have a power to act and to structure. And I suppose where we can immediately say the reason why science that emerges from art is is science starts creating a rigor and and a system and reproducible results and, and socially acceptable um, statements and utterances and ideas and notions, and it produces structures externally. Yeah. But you can reason without it. Yeah. Like, yeah. so science takes those internal images, all of these kind of formless, this nebulous thing that's happening inside of you, and it creates this structure, this system that it then kind of applies broadly and learns, like, what it can make from those yeah. structures. Perhaps the one of the best points to here to make is that if you look at the totality of the body of science right now, we have descriptive precision of the cosmos at an unbelievable level of yeah, granularity. Yeah. Like, and like what kind of star and, and how big they yep. get and how hot they are and mm-hmm. how long they last. and yeah. it's, un, it's really unbelievable. Yeah, and, yeah. I mean, it's really unbelievable the quantifiable precision with which we've described all that exists in the cosmos as far as we know, as far as we've experienced and observed and and reasoned mathematically and logically. And yet we, to my knowledge, we have no even first stab at what that would look like applied to the imagination. Right. So I've I've coined this elsewhere as like imagination science Mm -hmm. or teaching vision, Mm -hmm. teaching strategic imagination, teaching um, simulations or how to generate very complex internal simulations of different, whether it's personal scenarios, yeah, narrative yeah. scenarios, or business scenarios. Because yeah. so everybody, to a degree, does this in some way. Yes. Everybody is applying their attention and their imagination to some problem or some field or some scenario. And it's just a matter of better and worse ways of doing that. And you can get really good at having a vision on, on a very particular thing 
and and scientists since like Einstein when he's thinking about gravity and he's thinking about he's just thinking about light really hard for a <laughs> yeah. long time. Yeah. He's just like, wait, if I'm on a light beam, like yeah. what does that look like? Right. And then out of that he's just staring at his own imagination and, and creating formulas and educating himself yeah, yeah. and building this whole thing. But but fundamentally it was all visualizing. Yeah, yeah. Before it was E equals M C squared, it was just visions. Mm-hmm. It was just like literally light forms and then distilled into equations. Yep. Like, how can I make sense of all these relationships that I'm just seeing in my head, really? It was a very a very active form of imagination, yeah. whereas information mm-hmm. and receiving information and generating or, or gathering information is it tends to be more of a receptive and absorptive process. Mm. Um, it, it requires external input in a lot of ways. You can internally generate information, but um, even the... the the kind of summoning of that term is like it has a substantive materialist form which which imagination doesn't need yeah yeah there's tibetan psychonauts there's there's yeah, yeah. uh mystics there's visionaries of in yeah. business there's it's essentially like dream artists. science yeah, yeah exactly there's there's a lot of examples of hallucinations dreams simulations imaginations whatever you want to call it mm-hmm. internal experiences mm-hmm that you can see things that either don't exist mm. um, or reproductions of things that exist. Yeah. Um, or you can even, you can conceive things that don't exist and then bring them into the world, which yeah. is the history of invention, basically. Yeah. yeah, because even the tools by which we further science start in the imagination. Like, I'm thinking about, like, the telescope, you know? What would it look like to look really far? You know, like yeah, you yeah. can imagine. Like how? Okay, I can see that, but how could I see it way closer? Yeah. Like, and that—that's that, not like. I don't know anything about the invention of the telescope, but yeah. that it seems like that has to be an imaginative leap. Right. Yeah. It can't be like, a, oh, if we took this tree right. and we hollowed it out, and then like the, right, all of the but physics. You're not really observing the, the environment. You're yeah. more like imagining, what if I could? Yeah. yeah. It all kind of starts there, and then it's like, okay, all of the technical aspects of building and the materials of the telescope, all of that is post imagining the telescope. Yeah. And so how do, how do we think about this in terms of biology or something? Like, what is the relationship of these sciences to the imagination under this thesis that sciences emerge from art in that way? Yeah. The obvious point is, is in architecture, mm-hmm. just because that is a field where it has to be everything. It has to be artistic, scientific, cultural, emotional, right, yeah. engineering. Yeah. It all has to work. It all has to be there. Yeah, and has to not collapse. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that's, I've always operated with architecture as a framework for reality because mm-hmm. it's the only ex- example of a craft. I mean, there are other examples. It's just the one that I find to be most powerful that uh, it's not theoretical. Right. Like at the end of the day, a building has to happen. It, it can be theoretical. You can have theories of architecture. You can create concepts that never get built. But mm-hmm. to actually take it from, from concept to execution is a process of perceiving it in the imagination. Mm-hmm. And uh, shout out to my friend Hector for even... We had this conversation a long time ago. <laughs> but it's this process of perceiving something in the imagination that mm-hmm. does not exist. Mm-hmm. And then 
from that leveling down into how do I make this thing exist in reality? Right. Right. And, and you can do that with a product. You can do that with an idea. You can do that with a lot of different things. Mm. But then architecture is at a scale where then it becomes political. Then mm. it becomes psychological. Then it becomes sociological. Then it right. becomes scientific because right. there are materials involved and right. engineering. And then it costs. It has budgets. It has yeah. business. And it just becomes like by the time you get a building up, you pretty much have the best representation of what's going on in that culture. Yeah, word. And where their priorities are right. and how effective they are at executing together. Yeah. So, and I think I heard you say something about science is like a style of attention. Is that is that right? Yeah, yeah. Well, the best probably point for, for that would be there's a mathematician named uh, Alexander Grothendieck. He's a very radical mathematician in a lot of ways, but one of the ways he actually ended up, and he ended up later in his life becoming a hermit, becoming an ecological radical, writing novels about God is a dreamer, <laughs> um, and was at the limits of mathematics for a long time, but he also started trying to mathematize his colleagues' motivations. Oh, that's interesting. They're what he called pre-mathematics, <laughs> what we might call bias. Right, word. Right, what, yeah. we, what we might call the fact that fundamentally all science is subjective. Right. It's, it's not subjective objective. It's more like an aggregated summation of subjective decisions on styles of attention. Mm. Right? To kind of use a, a Jordan Peterson type of framework analysis of this, this yeah. is like a lot of different scientists, a biologist is like, I'm going to pay attention really closely to biology, to the science of life. Yeah, yeah. And a, and a physicist is paying attention to physics. There are many different realms in that. An immunologist yeah. is studying the immune system. Yeah, and right? just like et cetera, et cetera. And, and, yeah, and any... The thing is, once you decide... You could have a science of sand. Mm -hmm. I'm sure there already is one. Right. But where you just... Your whole life is spent unpacking the various ontologies and flavors and taxonomies of yeah. sand. Word. Right? Yeah. To, and then this is actually presaged by William Blake, a poet, mm. who's like, if you can see infinity in a grain of sand, like, you have attained enlightenment. Yeah, you word. understand reality if you yeah, can do yeah. that. Yeah, yeah. So literally so, anywhere you look, a science will emerge if you look long enough. Precisely. Yeah. Precisely. And what you decide to pay attention to has started already in your imagination, essentially. Yep. And, and so then you get to where science, in a certain way, is aesthetic. Mm -hmm. you, you picked what you wanted to study. Mm -hmm. like, like Darwin created the evolutionary theory where he built this system of knowledge, but he was just paying attention to stuff. Yeah. He was creating to the like science. birds on this remote exactly. island. Just like, like I mean, I'm, I'm never bird. gonna be Darwin because yeah. I'm never gonna go to a remote island and just pay attention to birds and write it down. Yeah, yeah. Right? Like, yeah. like, like that, painstaking that, detail, yeah. just everything about this bird, like, yeah. oh this beak is just different it's, than this oh beak. Oh my and, gosh, I can't even imagine <laughs> that. It's like so like ethically, aesthetically, I just would never even be that person. Yeah, yeah. I'm never I'm glad he exists though. I'm yeah, glad yeah. he was there and Alexander von Humboldt and all these other people who were like explorers and renaissance men who had all these wild ideas but yeah. fundamentally it came from they were just like I'm going to pay attention to shit yeah. a lot yeah, yeah. and see what comes out of it Word. and then sciences emerge out of that and that's the individualist side like yeah. that part of it science as a social construct mm. then becomes something that's more like how do I predict, control, understand and leverage knowledge Word, yeah. to build more knowledge to understand more things about the cosmos and the whole time be doing it kind of as a pure pursuit mm -hmm. without having a why or without thinking I have a why. Right, without thinking you yeah. have a why is usually closer to yeah. the truth, yeah. 
Yeah, and so now it's like at a point where we've gone so far in in terms of this body of knowledge and our understanding of the cosmos. Where is the next most important piece to pay attention to and and directly relevant to your why? You know, yeah. why it's, pay attention to anything? Yeah. You know, and and that's why I would say psychology is like we're just at a critical inflection point in psychology. Yeah, yeah. Because psychology is the study of the human soul, the study of the artist, the study of the mind, the yeah. study of, of the being, the study yeah. of the individual, and the study of the thing that makes the decisions about what to do with all the other stuff. Yeah, yeah. It's crazy because, yeah, even saying it out loud, it's such a fundamental aspect of one being alive, of two existing in a society, and yet the kind of attention, the flavor of attention that we've paid to it just hasn't really given us a great kind of ROI. It feels like we're even more confused in a lot of ways. Like we now have so many, you know, whether it's Myers-Briggs or Freudian thing or Jungian thing, there's so many schools that are so divergent and there really is no consensus in the field of psychology in the way that there is in biology or, or so on. Mm -hmm. Like, yeah. I mean, part of it could go back to what is the descriptive language of the imagination? Yeah, yeah. Like, how do you even begin to describe something that is just infinite? Yeah, yeah. And the relation of, of art and science and imagination and the structures you create from your imagination, how are neuroscience and cognitive science and psychology, like, these sciences that are emerging that are existing in this space that's pretty small, and it's like they all kind of have their own angle on yeah. it. Yeah, what do, you, what do you think about all that? To me, the first move is to divorce the mind from the brain. Okay. In, in terms of the mind is, and I, I'm not saying these absolutely. Yeah, I'm just yeah. saying I have, I've researched a lot of different domains across cognitive science, philosophy, uh, Buddhism, meditation, yeah, yeah. various areas. And, and then just empirically experiencing this as a human mm -hmm. and being like, the brain seems to be almost like the residual structure of how you've done things so far. Word, yeah, it's right. like a record keeping thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like it's almost like you lift weights and you grow muscle. Mm -hmm. um, you kind of you work out different parts of your brain, yeah. and then you create this engine or this machine or this internal architecture or this landscape. Word, the internal architecture of the whenever, brain. Yeah. yeah, whenever I look at mountains, I see I see the brain. That's when I when I'm flying above and yeah. I look down and I have this sense, um, there's a notion called neurogeography, mm. which I think I originally coined it just as that union of your mind is a mountain, mm. and the structure of how a mountain is created with compounding and, Word, and gradually the tension rising and, and yeah, yeah, that to me feels more like how a brain is built, huh. and that a mind is something that can almost we regularly have out-of-body experiences or dissociative experiences mm -hmm. or, or thing where like your will or your soul can just be outside of your body mm -hmm. and the only the reason i say that the first move is to kind of say mind brain mm -hmm. is because if you don't do that you create neuroticism mm -hmm. you create hyper neurocentric obsession with the mechanics right. and engineering of your brain you start trying to quantify the imagination yes. which well, not even the imagination like the physiology like you start limiting you start getting hyper attuned to like dopamine and focus right. and chemicals and neurochemistry right. and all this stuff that is all limiting it's yeah. all like you're not your brain yeah you're a lot of other things yeah you're, you up. are your brain but you're a lot of other things yeah and you're not, it's not even clear that you're your body. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I was telling someone, like, the the brain as it relates to the ego, 
the brain thinks that it is the system, not that it's a part of the system. Well, and I would say the brain doesn't think anything to me. Right. To my, in my experience, yeah. in this the mind yeah. is everything. The mind is can look at the brain. It can tell. It doesn't have the brain doesn't right. have to control anything. Yeah, it's like the the brain. The mind named the brain brain. Yeah, exactly, exactly. exactly. <laughs> the mind branded the brain. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> mind funny. brands brain. Yeah, that's that's dope. Yeah, that's <laughs> very interesting. I remember I read about a theory of mind, and I had a conversation with my friend. It was a long time ago. It was like ten years ago, and he was convinced that the mind didn't exist that the mind was invented by the brain and not the other way around. And I always thought that was very interesting. Like, I mean... Well, that's what I would call... I'd say in complexity science, you might say, the mind is an emergent property of the brain. Yeah, like, word, exactly. And and in a certain sense, that's that's possible. Yeah. That's totally possible. Yeah. Right? When I hear conversations with neurologists and... You know, like you're saying, they're kind of obsessed with this quantification with scientific precision, but we don't really know the extent of so many of these things, whether it's neuroplasticity or imagination or variations in mental architectures, as it were, like neurodiversity as a a word. Neurodiversity, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, No, I like like that concept. Sorry, I I just wanted to make one point. Because the mind-brain thing is like, if you think that your mind is your brain, because mm-hmm. this is what happens in like your imagination, your empirical experience. Yeah. If you think that your mind is is your brain, it introduces a limitation that to me is equivalent to thinking that you, Nigel Robinson, are Earth. Hmm. What Earth is, is actually defined by how you individual, Nigel Robinson mm-hmm. or me, Colton Zacharias, has structured a model about what Earth is, and right. that's Earth. As opposed to being like, okay, I'm definitely on Earth. I'm a structure of this whole thing. But I also have a concept of everything. And I have a concept that other people have concepts. And we have a global mind. And and like there's this whole thing. And so you could say that I'm the Earth. Uh And that, for a variety of reasons, actually could not be a bad thing to do. (laughs) But it has that kind of analogical... Do you see how that happens? I don't know if I'm following... Like... If you said you were the earth, the earth is suddenly conformed to your views and your values mm-hmm. or your perception of it. Mm-hmm. And that if you confine your being to your brain, mm-hmm. the brain does have an anatomy. The brain does have a language. The brain yeah. does have an architecture. Yeah. The brain, has, we've seen what the brain looks like. Yeah. So you can be limited by the descriptive language of the brain. Okay, so if I'm hearing you, or how I'm hearing you is like, if I decide that I'm my brain, then I have chosen all of those limitations that we've kind of outlined, as opposed to if I decide that I'm my mind, then I'm essentially as limitless as my imagination in a lot of ways. Yeah, I can see how both... I can see both being... Yeah, yeah. and the relationship between those, it sounds kind of like the relationship between art and science to begin with. Like, if you believe you're the mind then maybe your attention is more like art flavored and if you think you're the brain then maybe your attention is more like scientific i guess yeah. or your interpretation rather well maybe yeah, maybe you're maybe if you're a, you're a scientist you're more interested in compounding knowledge or compounding culture mm-hmm. like a brain like a social brain yeah i mean we see that in like machine learning right like yeah. like right this very second there are people who are trying to replicate the brain yeah. in hopes that a mind will emerge you know if we can create the complexity of our brain then we could potentially emerge a mind which is like what we call ai 
Another another way, and now we're kind of just getting at different metaphors and analogies, but uh, is that um, you could think of it like the building in an architectural process. The building is the brain, mm. the evidence, and all of the actions and thoughts and emotions and sentiments and events and planning and all the stuff that went into the building of the building was the mind. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. I'm interested to see what new sciences are created. Like, what is the next best thing to pay attention to? I mean, everybody's paying attention to everything all the time. But like you're saying, we have, we're at this point in psychology. What is the right angle aesthetically, you know? Yeah. Is, is aesthetics being attached to ethics? What is the science that is necessary for humans to move into the right direction now? feels like we're just finding new ways to limit ourselves almost, not to... Expand or maximize our experience of Earth. Right, yeah. I think to make this transition a little bit clearer, it, it's it's kind of back to that bias thing of like, in art, there's bias, there's preference. There's like, you, you paint with these colors, you paint with red and blue, and you don't paint with green for mm -hmm. a certain decision. Or you like these artists and you don't like those artists. Mm -hmm. But there doesn't seem to be anything uh, overly prescriptive about that preference mm -hmm. or ethically problematic whereas things like racism um, yeah which was a science right which like the science yeah yeah and understanding things really deeply at a genetic level or yeah. a scientific level or even sociological criminology, level, criminology criminology was a science and yeah. like those were aesthetic and ethical decisions it was a kind of attention yeah. where they just created structure where it did exist but it wasn't objective like as you were saying yeah well it, it was like how do we order understand command control structure perceive mm -hmm. regulate simulate survey all people minds environments yeah yeah for good and for worse like yeah. law and order yes and then there are other ways to leverage that information that are less savory or less good and the point of all of that is when aesthetics and ethics are fundamentally there's actually a field called axiology mm. which is literally ethics and aesthetics it's the science of worth Ooh, um, paying attention to worth yeah which we could get into a separate thing. I think worth itself is an abstract worth and wealth and yeah, yeah. that Value. it's abstract. So we start getting into all sorts of other stuff, but to keep it to ethics and aesthetics, basically the point here is to draw attention to the fact that where that becomes problematic is not clear. Yeah. Where preferential choices become not, I love this painting right. becomes like, I love this race. Yeah, yeah, or like, or like we should genocide these people. Yeah, exactly. As an aesthetic as and ethical to, decision. We don't think this is cool anymore. Yeah, yeah. And that that distinction is really close. The line between it is way thinner yeah, than we yeah. think. Yeah, for sure. And that is almost like you have to start developing a universalist maximalist expansive ethic mm -hmm. and approach to inclusive hybridity yeah. like deeply inclusive psychological hybridity both for your own development because it makes you a more creative imaginative resilient multi-talented well-rounded well-rounded multi-dimensional human being but because there are entire fields of aesthetics and ethics that actually are less prone to the darker side of ethical and aesthetic choices mm. than others and you don't have to take my word for it, but I think that doesn't come from a prescriptive philosophical thinking like or legalistic framework of like, this is the way things are. It comes from artistically exploring the mind and the imagination and pure thought and idea and writing and various art forms and aesthetics. And after a number of years of doing that, there are certain aesthetics and ethics and ways of thinking mm -hmm. that are less likely to end in genocide. 
Basically. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, which I think, you know, to your point about psychology, we don't know where that line is in psychology. We might make the wrong prescription. We might make the wrong diagnostic of the brain and the mind that leads down that path. It becomes like Brave New World, where it's like, all right, let's just look at their brain when they come out and let's just decide what their worth is. Yeah, I, I, yeah. I would say positive psychology is one where the emphasis becomes on human flourishing. Mm -hmm. So what that means for individuals and how that manifests at scale perhaps is not yet clearly defined. Yeah. But at the very least, the originary principle. Yeah, the right kind of like, attention is being yeah, paid. Exactly, exactly. We're thinking about how do we create not a militarized command center city where we understand the strategic level of position exactly where everything is and, and how we can regulate and order and control everything. Mm -hmm. But like, how do we create a garden? Yeah, yeah. Like, how do we create a place where people can simply experience peace mm. and that at an individualistic level and this is one trend that's happening in psychology that should happen more is like how minimalist can you make your conditions for happiness mm. and this is another reason i go to the artist is like we've worked in the world we've gone out there we made a living we have worked 40 hours a week we've done a lot mm -hmm. of different things out in the world but fundamentally if we could just have a studio where we did art all day mm -hmm. and we had a, a modest living enough to pay for where we were. We were in a city, we have access to different communities, groups, people. We can travel when we want. Yeah. We can circumscribe a very simple set of conditions mm -hmm. that would create an almost ideal or optimal situation that would create a base level of happiness mm -hmm. from which we could expand sensibly. Yeah. Right? And to tie it all in, using your imagination toward that end, looking that direction and then paying attention to the things that further your insight into that, whatever sciences emerge from that. That's right intent. That's right art, right, right imagination yeah. to create the right sciences that support human flourishing. Yeah. Well, because we're accelerating at paces that aren't necessarily sound or reasonable. We're moving really, really fast. It's not necessarily right. Yeah, yeah. That we need to be moving and accelerating and competing at the rate that we are. Yeah, like consuming. are we racing someone? Exactly. What are we racing? Everything that I know and that we've researched about space, it doesn't look close. Yeah. <laughs> it's like Earth is it. Yeah. For now, it's it. As far as we're concerned. As far as we're concerned yeah. and, and in our lifetime and probably in our kids' lifetime, we're not escaping Earth. Yeah. You know? And if we would spend as much time thinking about what world peace and paradise looks like, really rigorously looks yeah, like yeah. at an infrastructural, economic, psychological, precise level of granularity. Mm -hmm. If we took that focus and attention and broad resources to solving that problem, if we took as much time to do that as we take to spread fear, terror, pursue things in really fast ways, yeah. greedily get what we can get while the getting's good, yeah. and build bomb shelters just in case we all knew <laughs> each other. If we spent just as much attention doing that instead of yeah. all the stuff that's just clearly not going to go anywhere good, yeah. we might actually get there. Yeah, I have a friend who uh, he said that if you're creative enough to find an exploitative business model to find the right weakness or niche in the market, then you're creative enough to create a business model that is not exploitative and is actually generative and great for the environment yeah. and it's like and it's in the, the attention long, in the long run the other thing is like that from a strategic brand differentiation mm. standpoint the world is moving in direction where if you if you can create the non-exploitative business model mm -hmm. and then just point at your competitor and be yeah. like we do the same thing they do but yeah. we don't do what they do yeah yeah funny enough there's a search engine where every time you search they plant a tree yeah, Ecosia. That's why I don't use Google anymore. Because at the end of the day, Ecosia 
and Google from a search functionality capability perspective and from an interface perspective are the same product. Yeah. And both of them get me some results. Yeah. That ultimately it's still at a search in, in where we are in the history of how innovative our search functions are yeah. online. It's what I make of it. Yeah. And Google will feed me ads mm -hmm. and this Akosia will plant a tree. And so I just make a decision where I'm like, well, both of them are equally pseudo effective. It's, it's on me, the user, to be like, I'm going to search really precisely for exactly what I'm looking for. Mm -hmm. But one of them feeds me more ads, takes my data and, and sells it to advertisers. And one of them plants a tree. And so that's the differentiator for me. And I don't use Google as a search function. Um, all right. Well, that's it. The thesis is that science emerges from art. Be careful what you pay attention to. Thanks for listening.